My friends, welcome to worship at Schweitzer. I am Pastor Jason. So glad to have you with us today. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, we would love for you to say hello. We've got a Starbucks gift card we would love to send to you. Just click that button, give us a little information, we'll send that card out to you. Today we're continuing on week two of a sermon series called Elijah, a Person Just Like Us. Today we're going to be looking at Elijah as he's in 1 Kings 19. And he's got a significant and powerful question to ask. Who is the true God and what kind of God are we following? He asks this to the people of Israel and this question comes to us afresh and anew today. So we're so excited that we get to hear this text. If you'd like to grow deeper in your faith, there are sermon questions and a number of other ways you can connect and engage by going to sumc.co slash next. That's sumc.co slash next. Next up is going to be Jen Brown. She's our communications director here at Schweitzer, and she's going to share some ways that we can grow deep in our faith and engage here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Jen Brown. I'm so excited to share with you some ways you can connect and engage here at Schweitzer. I may have already started decorating for fall with just a few pumpkins here and there. And if that sounds like you or maybe something you might be interested in doing, you'd be the perfect candidate to be a porch angel in October. This is a way you can just go out and share some spirit and love with some neighbors by delivering some pumpkins to porches. So if you'd like to do that, contact Sheila Pippen at sumc.co slash next to learn more details. And that'd be a great way for you to get your fall started. If you've been attending Schweitzer for a little while or a long time and have been considering being a church member, next Sunday is the perfect time to do this. We'll be having new member Sunday next Sunday, and we'd love for you to be with us. If you are interested in doing this or learning more, you can talk to one of our pastors today or Sheila Pippen out in the lobby and learn all about what it means to be a church member and why you would want to be part of next week's celebration. Ladies, if you're looking for an opportunity to connect and engage with other women here at Schweitzer, sign up for our Ladies Women's Retreat on October 16th and 17th. We promise this will be a great time where we head to Branson for a couple of days and you get to find friends, engage in worship, and just learn what it means to grow in your relationship with God. We hope you'll join us. We would love to have as many women as possible on this retreat. And you can learn more about it in the lobby today. We have a great group of ladies who will be talking to you. Or you can learn more at sumc.co slash women's retreat. We know there's a lot happening here at Schweitzer, and it's sometimes hard to keep caught up with everything. But if you're interested in knowing more about our kids' ministry, ways to volunteers, our second season ministry, uh, sign up for our e-newsletter. That's one great way to just stay connected. You can also follow us on social media and always go to sumc.co slash next. Thanks, Jen. If you're joining us at live worship, either at 9 or 1030, We'd encourage you to say hello to the people who are in the chat room. Also, if you'd like prayer, somebody's here to pray with you. Now, let's get ready for worship. The Lord has brought me through all of my sorrows when I failed Him me away. He stood right by me through all of my troubles. When I was gone, He didn't let me go astray. He took my sin and saved my soul. He cleaned me up. 
so the whole wide world could see it was a great thing that he did for me Today, one of the challenges that we're going to hear in the text is a challenge that is put to us oftentimes. We find ourselves worshiping or following after gods who are not the one true God. Confession, the gift of confession, the act of confession, brings us back to the reality that there are times where our, our eyesight and our faith get off track. And so when we confess to the Lord about who we are and who He is, He brings us back into alignment. And so I invite you to join with me in this prayer of confession. After this prayer of confession, we'll go into a time of silent prayer, and then we'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer. But let's pray and lift up our hearts together. We confess to you, all-knowing God, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. But we cannot hide our true selves from you. You know us as we are, and yet you love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to respect ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us up out of the paralysis of guilt, into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask you to break their bondage and set them free. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.
as we take moments to confess who we are to the Lord and the Lord speaks to us his forgiveness, there's always an invitation for us to continue to grow in prayer through the words that Jesus taught his disciples and he teaches us. So let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On Sunday, September 12th, an awesome thing happened on the campus of Schweitzer. A young girl was baptized. Let's listen to her story. I've seen a lot of people do it. And when we actually went down to the river, when they did the river baptize, and when I saw the pastor's daughter doing it, I'm like, I want to do it now. I thought the water was going to be like ice cold. And then when I stepped in, it was like really warm. And the milk crate just wanted to keep floating up. I was really nervous. I get stage fright. I just focused on one person and imagine everybody else in their underwear. It's important to get baptized because you're asking him to be your savior and he will save you. And when you ask him, if you do something wrong, he will forgive you. And he's already forgiven you. That was an awesome story. And that's made possible in part by our consistent, faithful, and generous giving to the Lord's work and what God is up to through the ministry of Schweitzer. You can give today by going to sumc.co slash give or by giving on the Church Center app. Thank you for your participating in God's work, God's ministry through the ministries of Schweitzer. God bless you. This is the story of a man. The story of a man raised up by God in a time of spiritual and moral decline. The story of a man who would bring the nation of Israel back to God. But this is not the story of a warrior, a superhero, or even a king. This is the story of Elijah. Someone just like us. A long time had passed when the word of God came to Elijah again. It was the third year of the drought. God said, Go now and reveal yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. So, Elijah went to reveal himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator, who was wholly devoted to God. Obadiah had experience giving refuge, food, and water to prophets in times of need. Ahab said to Obadiah, Search through the land. Locate every spring and every stream. 
Let's see if we can find enough grass to keep our horses and mules from dying. So they divided the country between them for the search. Ahab went one way, Obadiah the other. While Obadiah was exploring the land, he came across Elijah. Obadiah fell on his knees, bowing in reverence, and exclaimed, Is it really you, my master Elijah? Yes, it's really me, Elijah replied. Now, go and tell your king that you have seen me. Oh, what have I done to deserve this? Obadiah asked. Ahab will kill me. He has searched far and wide for you. The minute I leave you, God will whisk you away somewhere else. Then, when I report to Ahab, you'll have disappeared, and Ahab will kill me. And I've served God devoutly since I was a boy. Don't you know what I have done for God's prophets? And now you want me to tell my king you've been found when he will surely kill me for it? Do not fear for your life, said Elijah. I will meet with your king today. So Obadiah went straight to Ahab and told him, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, So it's you, old troublemaker? I'm not the one who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah. You and your government have dumped God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do. Gather all the people of Israel and send them to Mount Carmel to meet with me. I have a message for them. Be sure to gather all the prophets of Baal and the goddess Asherah, the ones who fill their mouths and stomachs with food from Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah said to the people, How much longer will you sit on the fence refusing to make a decision between the Lord and Baal. If you believe God is the true God, then devote yourselves entirely to him. If you believe Baal is your master, then devote yourselves entirely to him. The people were silent. I am the last remaining prophet of God. Baal has 450 prophets. Let's do a little test. Bring us two bulls to sacrifice. Baal's prophets can pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on the altar on firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other one and lay it on the wood without lighting it. Then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to my God. The God who answers with fire is the one true God. Everyone liked this idea, so Baal's prophets went first. They called upon Baal all day, crying out, Baal, answer us with fire! But there was no voice, no reply. Nothing happened. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. At about midday, Elijah began making fun of them. You'll have to shout louder than that. Maybe Baal is having a nap. Louder! They prayed louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them until they were covered with blood. But still, there was no voice, no reply, no God heard them. Then Elijah said to the people, Now it's my turn. First, he fixed the now ruined altar with 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. Then he dug a wide trench around the altar. Then he poured four large buckets of water on top, 
drenching the bull and the entire altar. Then again, and then a third time, the water covered the altar and even filled up the trench. Finally, Elijah called out to God. Oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal to these people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving them another chance at repentance. The fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. And all the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awe and worship, exclaiming, God is the one true God! God is the one true God! Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. We just uh, read today, heard the story from 1 Kings chapter 18. So that's where we're going to be today. This is uh, our second week in this series on Elijah, who's, who's a man just like us. That's really our theme of this series. As we look through the story of Elijah, um, he is an inspiring person, one of the heroes of the Bible. He's a man who God sends to speak his words of truth. He's a man of conviction, a boldness. He is incredibly brave. Uh, he sees miraculous things happen. He's an incredibly inspiring person. And sometimes when you read the Bible, you see these inspiring people. It you forget that they're also people. And so as we read through Elijah's story, we're also going to see some of his struggles, his temptations, his doubts, and his fears in the same way that we have because Elijah's just like us. And, and, and my hope is as we go through this series, uh, we are inspired and, and encouraged to see that God can move through our life just like he moved through Elijah's. So today, 1 Kings chapter 18, this week two in this series, we've already heard the story from the video, but we're going to unpack this as we go because this is just so good, so rich. 1 Kings 18 is certainly probably one of my favorite uh, chapters in the whole Bible. Definitely my favorite part of Elijah's story. It is so good. Um, So it starts out like this. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 1 says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Now I want you to catch this. It says, In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The third year. This is three years after the previous chapter, which is what we read last week, chapter 17. And in chapter 17, this is when we first meet Elijah. And what we saw with Elijah as, he, as we first met him is that he shows up to Ahab, who is the king, and he says, hey, there's not going to be any rain for three years. No rain. And the reason for this is because Ahab, the king, and his wife Jezebel had been leading the people uh, to, to worship another god, a false god named Baal, who was a Canaanite god of, can you guess, rain. And so the Lord sends Elijah to get their attention and say, no, 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 this, this false God, he's not the one who sends rain. The Lord is the one who sends rain. The Lord is the one who provides for us. The Lord is the one who does this, even though the people are being led astray. So it's been three years, the long, long drought. And, and did you catch what Ahab was doing when Elijah went looking for him in chapter 18? Do you remember what it was? Ahab was out looking for a place to graze his horses, which is like leadership fail. Oh my goodness, his people are struggling three years of a drought, and, and, his, <laughs> and he's worried about his horses. He's worried about himself. This says something about his character and what we're going to see uh, from him as we, as we keep reading through Elijah's story that Ahab is concerned about. Ahab, it's a leadership fail. And so Elijah, he, he finally finds Ahab, and, and uh, 
as he finds Ahab, he, he goes all in with this incredible challenge that's going to take place um, on Mount Carmel. And so it's worth reading word for word about this challenge because it is so incredible and so rich. And so let's read this here as we read the, the very specific challenge that Elijah gives to Ahab. So here it starts in verse 17. It says, when he saw Elijah, that is when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab is uh, one of those people who struggles with self-awareness. He doesn't understand that he's actually the problem here. So Elijah, he's going to tell him that. Verse 18, he says, I've not made trouble for Israel. No, 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 no. You and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, these Canaanite gods. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Bring everyone together. Skip down a few verses and we'll read about the specific challenge because everyone's gonna be there. We're all in on this challenge to see who the real God is. And then finally, he says, here's what we're gonna do. Verse 23 says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And here's the challenge, it's set now, and I love it. Now, as you were reading through this, you may have missed some of these details, but this is so incredible because this challenge where Elijah is like putting his chips all in the middle, he's all in on this, on this challenge. He's gonna prove once and for all that the Lord is the one that we should trust, that this challenge is, is just set to, to highlight how powerful the Lord is and how not powerful this false God is, how he doesn't exist. And so it's all about the Lord's power here. And, and to, to show this, um, everything about this challenge is, is set up to favor this false God, Baal. Think about it, a few things here. First of all, where was this challenge gonna take place? It was on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is on the border between Israel and Sidon. It's, it's uh, in Sidon is, is Baal's home territory. And if you remember from last week, we talked about how in ancient, the ancient world, uh, people understood their God's powers based on geography. So you might have a God of a nation or a God of a mountain or a God of a hill or a, a, a river or whatever you might have. And, and it was thought that that God's power was limited to that geographic region. And so the Lord is like, all right, we'll do this and we'll do it in Baal's backyard. We'll give you home field advantage. And then notice how many people there were. How many prophets of Baal were there? 450 prophets of Baal were gonna show up plus the 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850 prophets. Now the prophets of Asherah are, are with Baal because in that mythology, Asherah is considered to be Baal's wife. And so that's 850 prophets on one side versus how many on the other side? Yeah, that's right, one. One prophet, just Elijah, by himself. How brave and bold is he that he's gonna take on this whole system, all of these people who, who are against him. And then, and then finally, think about the challenge itself. We have two bulls that are gonna be sacrificed. The bull, by the way, is a symbol for Baal in, in Canaanite um, art. And so uh, this would have been like his kind of sacrifice, his symbol that they were going to be sacrificing. And, and on top of it then, uh, the, the way the sacrifice is going to happen is that they were going to see which God answers by fire. That's what the Bible told us, which God answers by fire. Now think about that for just a second. Answers by fire. What are they talking about here? What is the fire that the God is going to answer by, the, the fire from heaven? What is that? It's lightning. 
Remember, Baal is the god of what? He's the god of storms. He's the god of rain. Like this is favored for him. It's almost as if Elijah is saying, okay, okay, we'll do this challenge. We'll, we'll put it in your backyard, give you home field advantage. You can have all the numbers you want, bring anyone you want to, just be me. And then on top of that, the challenge will be on what you think your God does best. And then just to further prove this, I'm gonna drench our sacrifice in just buckets and buckets and buckets of water, just to make it even harder for the Lord because we're gonna show you that he's the true God. And, and then as, as this keeps going here, this, these little details about how this is so much in favor of Baal, it makes the taunting even better. The trash talking of Elijah, we read this, again, it's worth reading word for word, mostly because I think it's hilarious that this trash talking is taking place. But you see this in verse 27, let's read it. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. At noon, because they've been at this for four hours and Baal hasn't answered them yet. So four hours pass and Elijah stands up to start trash talking them. And here's what he does. He says, hey, shout louder. He said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> and this keeps going. It says, so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued the frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. All day long went by, nothing happened. Elijah's over in the corner yelling at him, but there was no response, no one answered and no one paid attention. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah goes and he gets his bull ready. He has to repair the altar of the Lord, which is in disrepair. And he goes and he puts the bull on the, on the, on the altar and he, takes these uh, jars of water and he drenches the sacrifice 12 times for the 12 tribes of Israel to be a redemptive kind of act that the Lord hasn't given up on his people. And as he calls out to the Lord, this is what, what happens. Verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. So he blew up, burned up more than just the sacrifice. Um, and it also licked up the water that's in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. I am um, love, 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 First Kings 18. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. The showdown on the mountain. You got this trash talking going on, which in my opinion, there's just not enough trash talking in the Bible. I just, I love that this is here. And I, I also love First Kings 18 because First um, Kings 18, asks a basic question of faith that is an incredibly relevant question that, that if you are going to be someone of biblical faith, you're going to have to wrestle with this question. It's a, it's a question that everyone of faith has to wrestle with at some point in their life, if not wrestle with it on a kind of ongoing basis. It's such an important, pivotal question that people of faith have to, have to wrestle with. And we saw this question in, in verse 21, we didn't read it earlier, but we'll read it now because as Elijah stands up to give this challenge to the people, he talks about these bulls that are gonna get sacrificed. In the middle of this challenge, he asks them this incredibly important question, which every person of biblical faith is gonna have to ask. It does, I don't care if you're 10 years old or 90 years old. I don't care if you've been in the church for a long time or if you're just starting out. All of us have to, have to answer this biblical question, which is this, how long will you waver between two opinions? That's what Elijah's asking. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you gonna sit on the fence? 
How long are you going to straddle the line? How long until you make up your mind and go all in on what God is calling you into your life? How long are you just going to play in the shallow end and not go deep? How long are you going to keep God at arm's length? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? Because biblical faith, biblical faith is going to have to answer this question because you can't live your life wavering between two opinions because when you do, you will fall. My, uh, my favorite holiday is uh, 4th of July. I know I'm a pastor, so I should probably say Christmas or Easter. I certainly love Christmas and Easter, but I love 4th of July mostly, honestly, because there's fireworks. And if Christmas and Easter had fireworks, it would raise in my, in my, in my opinion. But I love 4th of July because of fireworks. And in my family, we have a tradition that goes back till when I was a kid that uh, we go to the lake for the 4th of July and uh, we, we go out on the water and the boat to watch the 4th of July fireworks. It's a tradition we've had since I was a kid. My, now my kids have the same tradition. It's just a, a deep thing in our family that this is how we do it. And in my opinion, just one man's opinion, if you're going to watch fireworks, watching on the lake is probably the best way you can possibly watch fireworks. And so this last 4th uh, of July, this last summer, we had about 20 people with us, extended family, some friends, and we were out, drove out to, on, on the boats to watch the fireworks. We had two boats because we had so many people. And, and as we were getting together, getting ready for the fireworks, people are fiddling with the music, trying to get the, you know, the radio to go, and people are talking and, and having fun together. And, and we have these two boats we're about to tie up. And I'm in the front of one of the boats, and I'm holding on to the other one, while the group in the back is getting distracted and we're supposed to be tying the boats together, but they're not. And so they're, they're talking and getting distracted and someone jumps in the water and they're swimming. And now the boats are starting to kind of drift apart um, in the back and I'm in the front and I'm holding onto one with my feet and the other with my hands and the boats just keep drifting further and further apart. And you kind of, kind of imagine what happens is you're trying to hold on to the two because eventually you find yourself where your feet are in one boat, but your hands are in the other and you're fully extended between the two boats. You know what happens at that point? You go for a swim. You're, you're wavering between these two boats. This is what I found myself doing. And what happens is you're, you're going to fall because there's, there's nothing to support you when you begin to waver between two opinions. And this is why biblical faith is going to have to answer this question. Because biblical faith, you, you can't waver between these two opinions because you will fall. Now, it's important to realize that the people of Israel, um, when they are wavering between the two opinions, this doesn't mean that they have given up on the Lord. Like they, they have not turned their back on the Lord. That's not what's happening in 1 Kings 18, that they have said, oh, no, 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 the Lord, no, he's not real. We're not going to follow him anymore. That's, that's not what's taking place in 1 Kings 18. Rather, what's taking place for the people of Israel is they're saying, yeah, the Lord is, is God, for sure. He, he is real. He's the God of Israel. But also, so is Baal. Both are God. So we can worship both of them. And so this is how, what it means to waver between the two opinions is the people of Israel trying to hold on to both gods at the exact same time. And it's like, yeah, we'll go to the temple. Yeah, we'll do what the Lord requires of us. We'll, we'll do the sacrifices that he wants and also we'll worship Baal on the side with that and we'll do both at the exact same time. And this is what it means for them to waver between these two opinions is that they're being committed to both. Now, theologians have a, have a word for this kind of way that you sometimes are committed to, to two things at the same time, this wavering between two opinions. And, and theologians um, call this wavering, they call it uh, syncretism. Kind of sync up two different ideas that really oppose one another, and yet we sometimes hold on to these two ideas as if both can be true at the exact same time. Let me give you an example of this. So um, I'm a, a big Chiefs fan. 
Man, I love the Chiefs. I've watched them my whole life. Um, I, I've, been, I've been a Chiefs fan through, through the bad years, now the good years, it's amazing. But even the bad years, remember that year they were two and 14? I probably, I'm pretty sure I watched every single game that season. I don't know why I did. It made me miserable, but I did. So I'm a big Chiefs fan. So that's true on one hand. But then pretend that I said to you that while being a big Chiefs fan, my favorite, all-time favorite quarterback is John Elway. Now, it's not. Just, just, it's not. But pretend it is. Now, if you don't know who John Elway is because you're not a football fan, John Elway, legendary player, quarterback for the Broncos, destroyed the Chiefs throughout his career, two-time Super Bowl in the, in the 90s, back-to-back Super Bowl. And, and just imagine, though, that, that I would say to you on one hand, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, but, but every time I go to Arrowhead to a game, I like to wear an orange John Elway jersey. Now, you would hear that and you'd be like, Nah, you can't do that. Those two things can't both be true. You can't, you can't be a Chiefs fan and say your favorite all-time quarterback is John Elway. Like those two things don't happen. But that syncretism is, is you hold two opposing ideas at the same time and try to make it work. And, and this is what the people of Israel are struggling with here is that they're, they've got these two ideas at the exact same time trying to make them work together. And, and this challenge of syncretism is, is not just ancient. Like it's something the church still struggles with today. This question of how long will you waver between two opinions? Oh my goodness. It's just as relevant today as it's ever been because the church struggles with syncretism today in all kinds of ways. I mean, it doesn't show up in the temptation to worship Baal, at least not what I've seen. Maybe, maybe that's a struggle for you. It's certainly not a struggle for me, but, but the syncretism struggle does show up in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we see it in like behaviors where Maybe Christians will, will endorse or affirm behaviors that are clearly opposed to biblical teaching. I mean, this happens quite a bit. I think about our culture right now that um, where uh, the sexual ethic is, is changing to be much, much more permissive than what we in the Bible, would, what biblical Christians would hold on to. And there's a certain temptation there to then affirm all kinds of things that the Bible really doesn't. I mean, I, for instance, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with uh, men in particular who have tried to justify the usage of pornography. And I'm like, no, 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 like that doesn't jive with the scripture. Like it's clearly opposed to to scripture, but it's so mainstream in our culture that, that people, even Christians will try to affirm this, even though it's clearly opposed to how the Bible would teach us about how to use our bodies and how to honor God with that. Or or sometimes it shows up, um, the syncretism shows up in how we justify things. I mean, Christians often will, will try to justify violence or racism or, or sexism or nationalism. Or, or sometimes you might have Christian leaders or political leaders try to use the Bible or faith to justify their political ideology. And, and you see this happen in all kinds of places and all kinds of political parties and all kinds of leaders where we start to try to sync um, these two opposing ideas together when, when really you're, you're left thinking, no, no, that's not, that's not how this works together. Or sometimes the syncretism happens with our belief systems, our, our, our theology and what we think about God. And this is particularly true about sometimes the miraculous that we read in the Bible, the miraculous nature of God, because uh, sometimes as in, in our modern minds, we become uncomfortable with maybe some of the miraculous things that God does. And so I, I can't tell you, for instance, um, but I've had conversations, uh, a lot of conversations, I can tell you how many, I've had a lot of conversations with like pastors, clergy, um, ordained United Methodist pastors, my colleagues, who, who have said to me things like, you know, I, I just don't know that I can really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Or 
I don't really believe that Jesus was born from a virgin, or I don't really believe that Jesus was, you know, fully God, or that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And you're left kind of thinking to yourself, no, no, this is like what historic Christianity has always believed. You don't believe this. Like, why would you do any of this work? Why would you try to go in this direction at all? Like, this is syncretism. It's, it's, it's this idea that you say, like, you know, I can be a Christian and still, and then like fill in the blank with whatever it is that you can still do and still be a Christian. Like, that is syncretism. And Elijah, the message of Elijah, he's like, no, 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 no. Biblical faith, it demands obedience to God, submission to God, service to God, that we put him before everything else. And so we don't try to take these opposing ideas or things that he's opposed to. We live into obedience and submission to him. This is what biblical faith is. Biblical faith demands that the Lord comes first above everything else. And we don't try to add things on top of that. It's just simply that we are obedient to the Lord. And of course, this is the call of Scripture from beginning to end. I mean, I think about how in the Scripture you read this call all over the place. You read it, for instance, in the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing comes before the Lord. This is the first commandment because if you don't get this right, nothing else works. Or I think about Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus quoted this very famously, by the way. Moses writes this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is another way of saying the Lord comes first. And then it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Not love the Lord with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your strength, or part of your heart, part of your soul, part of your strength. No, all of it. And then Jesus called this the greatest commandment because if you follow that, everything else falls into place. Or I think about the challenge of Joshua to the people of Israel. Again, it's a challenge of putting the Lord first, not letting anything else try to compete against this. And Joshua says this, it says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whom you were land you were living. But then listen to this last line. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will put him first. Or I think about some of the prayers you find in the Bible. Psalm 86, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Catch that undivided heart. Nothing else in the way. Nothing competing against the Lord. They're not trying to add things on when an undivided heart. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, seek first, not second, not third, not alongside some other things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Or I think about what Jesus said in Luke 14, he says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000, if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and seek terms for the peace. And then he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In other words, if you're not going to follow Jesus, you've got to count the cost. Like, this is not something where you just add a few things on top of this. To follow the Lord, to have biblical faith, is to give everything that you have to the Lord, not trying to justify, not trying to affirm things the Bible doesn't, but be living in obedience and submission to Him. Or I just think about, in addition to these scriptures, the most basic confession of Christian faith, where we say simply this, that Jesus is Lord, that he is Lord, that he comes first and foremost, and that nothing compares to him. And if Jesus is Lord, then that means he's Lord of everything. Not some things, not part of my life, not just kind of my Lord, but he's Lord of everything. He's Lord of my relationships and my resources. He's Lord of my time. 
He's Lord of my ambitions. He's Lord of my emotions. He's Lord of my body. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of my words. He's Lord of my eyes. He's Lord of what I do with my life. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of my decisions. He's Lord of it all. So everything that I am, everything I'm about has to submit to Him. This is why when you waver between two opinions, you ultimately fall because you're not relying and trusting in Him. I've heard it said before that that most Christians would prefer to receive Jesus as their consultants and not their Lord not their king. That is, we we want Jesus to give us good advice about our life, but we don't actually want to submit our lives to him, to live in obedience to what he teaches and what he calls to us and his purpose for our life is. Instead, we just want to get some good advice from him on how to avoid maybe some tragedies in life and feel better about ourselves. But the reality is the call of discipleship, the call of Christian living, the call of biblical faith is that everything is submitted to him our behaviors. We don't justify things. We, we, don't, we don't try to sync up opposing ideas. We live our lives in submission to him. We can't waver between two opinions. Now, I want to point out one more thing from 1 Kings 18. And this uh, might have been something that's easy to miss, but it's so, so important to catch. And I want you to see that in 1 Kings 18, the challenge on the mountain, the showdown between Elijah and the prophets, that in the midst of this and woven throughout it, is the persistent grace and mercy of our God. The persistent grace and mercy of our God. The whole showdown was meant for Elijah to come and call the people back to the Lord. The whole showdown is to bring people to to a place of submission to the Lord because this is where the full life is found and this is God's intention for us. And so God in his persistent grace and mercy, he sends a prophet. In God's persistent grace and mercy, he he ends the drought. In God's persistent grace and mercy, he answers the prayers in order to get people's attention. And, And just notice, it's not like the people of Israel are seeking after the Lord. They are blatantly unfaithful to him. They are blatantly uh, living into, into deception and lies and sin. And yet the Lord pursues them even in their disobedience. Friends, that is the gospel message right there. That in our disobedience, in our sin, in our distraction, in our selfishness, the Lord still pursues us. When we find ourselves living outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when we haven't submitted ourselves to Him, when we fill our minds with things that don't honor Him, when we fill our lives with things that don't honor Him, He still pursues us. Even when we're distracted, fearful, even when we're dismissive, even when we wander away from Him, He never gives up on us. It is the persistent grace and mercy of our God. And this is what's invited to us today. Because you see this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? It's not a question for the ancient people. It's a question for us as well. How long will you straddle the fence? How long will you try to justify that behavior? How long will you you resist the work of God in your life? How long until you submit all of yourself to Him and surrender everything to Him? And even though in your disobedience, there is still a call, there is still an encouragement for you to come and to find the persistent grace and mercy of our God. He comes and He seeks after us even when we don't seek after Him. This is the good news message that we find throughout the pages of Scripture. How long will we waver between two opinions? Let's not live our life that way because ultimately we'll fall. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, as we think through this challenge of Elijah, the showdown on the mountain, uh, we hear this challenge and we need to address this in our own hearts. How long will we waver between two opinions?
For some of us, uh, we have been trying to hold on to opposing ideas. We're trying to hold on to faith, biblical faith, and yet honestly, we're living our lives in rebellion to you. There are things in our lives that are clearly opposed to Scripture, clearly opposed to how you want us to live our life. And in this, Father, we want to come and we want to submit to you that you might be Lord of our life. And so all of us today, maybe we just take a moment to recommit ourselves to you and just ask you, Lord, would you be our Lord? Would you challenge us that our words, our, our thoughts, our emotions, our resources, our relationships, all that we are, our decisions, our ambitions, everything about us, that we might be submitted to you because you are the true God. You are the one who's created the heavens and the earth and you are the one who loves us so much that you sent your one son that we might find life in you. And so for anyone today who, who needs to maybe recommit their faith in you, maybe even come to you for the very first time, we just have a simple prayer. We just say, Jesus, would you, would you forgive me my sin? Forgive me my rebellion and would you lead my life? In the name of Jesus who loves us so dearly we pray. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for joining us in worship today. A big thanks too to all those who helped produce today's worship, to the team behind the scenes, to the production team, to Jen and to our worship team and to Spencer. If today's worship experience blessed you, spoke to you, we encourage you to take a moment, share it on social media, share it through a direct link. That would be fantastic. Join us next week for week three as we continue in the story of Elijah, the story of God who wants to speak to us, draw him into his, draw us into God's life. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and yours. God bless. Go in peace.